The rebellion is spreading, and I want to be on the side I believe in. Yeah, meanwhile, I'm stuck here. You'll get your chance to get off this rock. You're going to the academy next term, aren't you? Not likely. I had to cancel my application. What for? My uncle needs me. Oh. No, I'm serious. The Sand people have been getting really crazy. They've even raided the outskirts of Anchorhead. Come on, Luke. Your uncle could hold off a whole colony of Sand people with one blaster. I know. But we've got almost enough evaporators to make the place pay off. I have to stay one more season. I can't leave him now. What good's all your uncle's work if the Empire takes it over? You know they've already started to nationalize commerce and the central systems? It won't be long before your uncle's just a tenant. Slaving for the greater glory of the Empire. No, that's not going to happen here. You said yourself the Empire won't even mess with this old rock. Things can change. I wish I was going. Are you going to be around long? No. Leaving in the morning. I guess I won't see you. Maybe someday. I'll keep a lookout. Yeah. I'll be at the Academy next season, and then who knows? I won't be drafted into the Imperial Starfleet, that's for sure. Well, take it easy, buddy. You'll always be the best friend I've ever had. So long, Luke. Welcome to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Deep in the bowels of the frozen ice caverns of Hoth, our hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, discuss all things Star Wars. So join the conversation and hang out here in the Wampa's Lair. Hey everybody and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This is episode number 290. Everyone needs someone. I'm as always one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Poe Dameron to my fin, we have Carl LeClaire. Oh, what a great comparison. I had no idea where you were going to come with this. I love that one. Oh, uh, there, there were so many I thought of, but I was like, ah, let's do the hey buddy one, you know. <laughs> I'm going to call you Finn. Is that all right? Finn. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I'm Poe. Poe Dameron. Good to meet you, Poe. Good to meet you, too, Finn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen to this beautiful music. Oh. Uh, thank you, John Powell. <laughs> yes, if John Powell and John Williams do not get nominated for an Oscar this year, there will be hell to pay. Uh, I agree completely. I, did you, do you remember if Giacchino got a nod for Rogue One at the Oscars? I don't remember I if don't, he did or not. I don't think he did. I know John Williams did for, for Last Jedi. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like at this point, John Williams is going to get a nod no matter what, almost out of respect. Uh, not to say that he doesn't do great stuff all the time, but... Like, I think there's just such a profound respect for him that he's going to get nods. Um, I heard the music in Incredibles 2 is really good, which is obviously Giacchino. Yes, it I, is. I haven't I, seen I can, it. I can attest to that. Nice. Um, nice. Let me see. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the Rogue One Academy Award nominations right now. And no, Rogue okay. One only was nominated... For Best Achievement in Sound Mixing and Best Achievement in Visual Effects. Right, which is to be expected of a Star Wars film. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, Jason, I'm so glad 
to be joined by my favorite companion to talk about the importance of companionship in Star Wars. Who's that? Uh, you. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Oh, I don't know what universe you're from, but that's gotta hurt. Burn. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, this this particular episode, we're going to explore uh, the idea of companionship in Star Wars, specifically looking at a few of our most iconic companions in the Star Wars universe, which you will hear about shortly. Um, but before we get into the, the, the fun of this topic, uh, I just want to give a special thank you and shout out to our um, unofficial official sponsors of this episode of The Wampus Lair. And because I'm remiss to often remember to do this, I'm going to put them all together for this one. So thank you to... Otto Baum, Sartosh Singh, and Stephanie Vance, who are our most recent supporters on our Patreon page. Thank you so much for your for your patronage, for your support of the show. Um, and, of course, because of you, we're, we're bringing this very fun, exciting episode. And Sartaj will actually be on – will be joining us next next month some, at some point in July with a really, really exciting topic. So I'm really looking forward to having him on. It's going to be yes. fun to coordinate. He's in England. I'm on the East Coast. You're on West Coast time. It's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> right, right. We'll, we'll, we'll make it work. We'll, we'll find some sort of time warp and, and do it all or Absolutely. something. But yeah, I can't wait to get him on. He has been a, a, a consistent um, uh, Larian with, with really deep insights the last few years. And I'm, I'm really excited to, to get him on and, and hear him speak uh, on the air and, 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 and share his wisdom and intelligence around Star Wars with all of you. So, um, so thank you to Sartage, Stephanie, and Otto for, for your support of the show. We really, really appreciate it. Yes, we do. So thank you. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, I wish we could all give you medals, but like Chewie, you're going to have to be without one this time. <laughs> <laughs> you'll get it after the show. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then you'll give it away in a comic book that nobody cares about. Um, ooh, ooh did, I, did I say that too loudly? Um. But, you know, Jason, really quick before we hop into the, the idea of companionship, um, unfortunately, like, like last week, as, as you all know, if you listen to the episode, I, I, I was fortunate enough to have Katie join me kind of last minute because, unfortunately for you, Jason, you got stuck at work super I late, did. which really stunk. And, and both of our weeks were just so darn busy that um, it just wasn't going to happen for us getting together last week. Um, but before we hop into the specifics of this topic, I, you know, I definitely want you to, to voice any kind of closing thoughts you may be having still about solo and again it's not like we're done talking solo forever we will be back to this well to be fair we're gonna be talking about it quite a bit this evening um (laughs) but that being said like was there anything big that you've you know i know you saw it again this past weekend is there anything you wanted to share from your insight before we kind of hop into the topic because i don't want to i don't want to take that away from you i was really looking forward to to talking with you last week about that but unfortunately like you know like we said you just couldn't make it life happened absolutely um yeah, uh, I didn't. I didn't think of. I didn't plan ahead for this. No, that's, um, I mean, that's totally fine. I, I just. I wanted to at least pull that out right away because if you were like, "Oh, this," I was thinking of this when I saw it this weekend. I don't want you to not have that. You know, have that opportunity. I mean, I'm still just gonna. I, I still come back to the the element of this movie that it's just plain fun. Um. There, there is a level of camaraderie, particularly, of course, among Han and Chewie. But then they keep, you know, with the cast as well. Uh, that works so well, and it, it's one of those things where 
the camaraderie between the cast bleeds over into the camaraderie of the characters, which helps to reinforce the fact that this is such a fun movie. Star Wars is great because it can be deep. It can be incredibly insightful. There can be a lot of lessons learned from it. But on top of it all, what attracts people to it initially, what gets their attention is how much fun it is. And so I'm honestly, particularly after we've had, you know, some some deeper, more tragic stories like Rogue One or Last Jedi, I'm so glad we got a breather with a really fun adventure ride of Solo. Mm. And I it's been so I didn't realize I needed that kind of a breath until it came out, until I saw it. it. It was one of those things and that it really was like, ah, fresh air, you know, that sort of thing. It was one of those things, not not to say that, you know, Last Jedi or, or Rogue One, you know, gets you down or anything, but it's just so deep. Um, it's tragic in the case of Rogue One, and it's deep and heavy in the case of Last Jedi. And so when you have something that sort of buoys you up and gives you that sense of fun, that sense of adventure, even though there is, you know, trials and tragedy and stuff that happens in film, it was just such an uplifting experience and something that I love so much because it is so much fun. You know, I, I can't point to, you know, a lot of, you know, too many deep, insightful things out of this movie, which, we, you know, we can still draw those out. And we will do some of that here tonight. But it, it's honestly one of those movies that I will watch this movie again and again and again and again because of the adventure aspect, because of the fun. Um, and it's one of those things that it's going to take a long, long, long time for me to get tired of it. Um, so... That's, that's I think, the biggest takeaway I have from Solo right now. Um, and it's a great thing to have alongside all of these other great stories and films in Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I know that obviously I, I shared a lot of my, my thoughts last week, but I, I like I told you this morning or yesterday afternoon of that matter. I caved. I couldn't help myself. I went for an eleventh time last night. Um, I I love this damn movie. I I just wish it would come out for home release tomorrow so that I could just start watching it on repeat. Especially now that I'm about to have a month off from from my job. Like I, I would watch this every morning because um, I don't think I'd get sick of it. Um, but the one the, there are two things I just wanted to, to to close out my my initial thoughts with, and I want your your insight on this as well. Um, well, mainly the reason I like Solo so much is a lot of the reasons you just said, Jason. It's the fun adventure ride we kind of haven't had in a couple of films. Like that's what Force Awakens was for sure, and yes. that's not a that's not a judgment of Last Jedi or Rogue One. They're just a different kind of Star Wars movie, right? Like we've been talking the last few weeks, right? The maybe the idea of more of watching Star Wars based on mood and feeling rather than ranking. Right. Um, Because at the end of the day, I love Star Wars. You know, there's there's really not a bad Star Wars film. I mean, objectively, yes, there's some like not so wonderful parts of Star Wars in all of them, except Empire Strikes Back. Um, And uh, (laughs) (laughs) oh, that movie's perfect. But, um, you know, um, at the end of the day, like you were just saying, Solo was such a fresh breath of fresh air. And uh, 
it hits me emotionally. And like, so again, like what we, the way we perceive any film, be it Star Wars or anything else is going to be, you know, what, what will resonate with us is dependent upon the kind of people we are and what we want in a movie. And what I want in a movie, even specifically Star Wars is I want to feel connected to it and I want to feel something. Um, and I, I didn't, I, I mean, Force Awakens, I had all sorts of feelings. Rogue One, I had all sorts of feelings. Last Jedi, I didn't have that many feelings because it was, it was, I don't know, it was just too much. Um, but Solo, I have just smiled so damn consistently through that movie. And I've really felt such an emotional connection to Han and what goes on in his story in this movie that it's, it's like the perfect movie for where I'm at in my life right now. And so, of course, like for me, that's going to make it one of my favorite of the Star Wars films. And to be, to be honest, and, and I know it's probably still too premature, but premature, but Solo has now taken over the, uh, taken over the Rogue One spot as my favorite of the Disney films. Um, and uh, it's because I really connect to Han's story in that movie with like what he's going through, what's going on for him. Um, I connect with it so personally that I can't help but love this movie. Um, I can understand why, for some people, it may not be their favorite because they don't have that particular connection. And, you know, we just got a great email, which I want to bring to bear probably next in next week's episode because there's a lot in there. Um, oh, my gosh. I should have looked real quick at the, the guy's name. It, it, it was... Oh, hold on. Okay. Um, while you're yeah, looking, he, he just... Oh, my gosh. Did he bring some beautiful uh, ideas and, and, and thoughts to, to the to the newest star Wars films. And he's, he, he tells right out from the gate that he's in his, you know, mid forties and he just loved last Jedi. And he felt a profound connection to Luke and like where he is in his life. And so like, I get it, right? Like if you can connect to a character in a star Wars film, you're going to love that movie. Um, yeah. His name's John, by the John, way, John Morales. You. Yes. John, oh, John Morales, Miles Morales, father. Um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, um, but, uh, yeah, so that's the biggest thing for me with solo. It is, it just, I have such an emotional response to it, which I didn't have to last Jedi. So, um, and, uh, and I love that, but you know, at the end of the day, solo, as opposed to both force awakens and last Jedi is it's very much a microcosm type of story as opposed to a macrocosm. Um, yes. you know, like there are galactic wide implications really to every star Wars film, even rogue one until now. And the thing I was thinking right. about a lot is solo is the type of story that I, as a, as a kid, when I was playing in my backyard would kind of recreate, right? It's just something that's very small scale. It's not always like, you know, the whole galaxy is dependent upon the outcome, but right. It's just kind of this very zoomed in story and, you know, I just again, it just it's like something that you would recreate when you were a kid playing Star Wars. Right. No, that that it's a great way to put it. You know, a mini adventure where you're, you know, going on and, and, and doing these things and you're having to outwit the bad guys and, you know, escape the monsters and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it you're right, it is something that, that you would sort of develop and play, you know, because it was very hard sometimes, unless you're re- reenacting um, a scene from the movie, to create an entire story that had galaxy-wide implications. You know, if you wanted to do it right. Um, <laughs> yeah, but um, 
but yeah, no, that that's definitely a, a, a neat way to look at it. And it's also one of those things where you're right. It does. This movie hits me emotionally because, and, and I'm going to get a little serious here and I apologize. Uh, but with the way that the, the social political climate is right now and the way that that attitude is just permeating everything else. Um, having a movie like this has been a great escape and a great way to get, just reconnect and go, ah, I'm, 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 I'm happy here. You know, this is, this is one of those, you know, it's an escape. It's a, you know, things are fun. Things can be exciting and, and that sort of thing. So, um, It just makes me happy. You're right. It, 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 it's one of those things where it's, it's sometimes it's hard to put your finger on exactly what makes it work for you. Because there are a lot of things that work for me in this movie. Han is much more of an interesting character to me, to me now after seeing Solo. Mm-hmm. Um, I care about the character in a way I never did before, um, which is really surprising to me. I guess he's an underdog, that he's always trying to get one leg up. And he's like halfway over the the fence and then keeps slipping back down. But you're like, oh, he's going to make it this time. He's going to make it this time. Um, and he kind of is like that through his whole life. But you keep rooting for him. And he's such such a good-natured person about it that you're like, okay. You know, he's that, that underdog that, you know, is just about to make that score. But his good-natured, good guy side of him keeps putting himself – putting him in situations where – he can never quite break out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's what's the, the, this microcosm story is all about? A man who just he fights with everything he's got for his freedom, um, right? And that drive for freedom, in a way, spills out and affects everyone and everything around him, and also attracts people with similar desires, right? Like that's Beckett is the same. Right, I think that's why they they have such a quick bond between the two of them is both Beckett and Han are after the same thing, um, right? And and Han's the type of character which we clearly see at the end of the movie with you know what he does with Enfys Nest that Han is someone who fights for freedom so hard for himself that he's not going to deny that for others, right? And I think eventually that's going to be the catalyst to why he does finally join up with the rebellion. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's the story about the underdog who, like, I like the way you put that. Like, he is the underdog. It's the underdog fighting for their freedom. Um, yeah. And in a way, we can read into that um, as Han, right? Like, all of none of us are, like, specially endowed Jedi masters. We're all the everyday man, right? Like Han Solo, who is the underdog who just fights for freedom and gets it because he doesn't give up. Like, it's not easy, but he... He, he keeps fighting for it. Um, right. And that's what I love about him is he's just so practical about that. So, but um, that being said, why don't we hop into this, this discussion about companionship and, and just to give a bit of like sense of where this is all coming from, what, what we mean by companionship. Um, it, it, for me, what this means is it's, it's essentially a companion in star Wars is someone who's consistently around, you know, it's two characters that are consistently together around each other and they support and encourage one another and they even challenge them to become something more, to, you know, to, to fulfill their potential. Um, and both characters are therefore affected by one another and become something more by being with the other person. 
um, yeah. right? Like, and and they're always seen together because. In a way, they're kind of attached to the hip. Hello, Foden Beetle. <laughs> <laughs> um, attached to the hip or attached to the shoulder, whichever you prefer. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and this this sense of companionship again. When I know we've talked about this a little bit in the last few weeks, but again, a companion is someone who shares this sense of like filial love, this this love of friendship, family, and learning that that can sustain you and fulfill you. Um, you know, it's specifically because we are we're going to talk about Han and Chewie first here. Um, but, you know, they're going to learn that this type of relationship, this type of love, filial love can fulfill you, even if you think it's another kind that you need. Um, so, you know, it's it's just it's lifetime best friends. You know, like I I remember when when I was in college, I my my best friend, Nate, like wherever I was, Nate was right behind me and wherever Nate was, I was right behind him. And, you know, like we've all had friends like that in our lives where you kind of are like this package deal and, you know, wherever you go, the other person's there with you. Um, And, you know, I mean, a lot of times when you meet these people, it just kind of just happens organically. And that like that's our story with how we met and created the show. You know, we Mm -hmm. met at fan days six and a half years ago and immediately took a liking to each other. And I was fascinated by your love for Attack of the Clones and intrigued by your weirdness um well you know (laughs) glad it worked for me this time (laughs) and you know like yeah um it just you know companions build each other up they make each other better yeah yes they do um and it's it's one of those things where everybody needs somebody right you know to, to quote val and the title of our episode um everyone needs someone you know it it's it's one of those things that even characters that don't think they need anybody, you know, like Han doesn't think he needs anybody except Chewie when we get to, you know, the original trilogy. But he finds out that with it, with Luke and with Leia um, and to a lesser extent, the rebellion as a whole, he finds a family and finds a purpose. Um, and so even though, he and Chewie are companions and inseparable. Um, you find out sometimes, sometimes you need a little more too. So, right. But yeah. Anywho. So like I said, you know, we're going to, we're going to turn this conversation to initially talking about Han and Chewie, the, you know, the, the original and premier example of companions in star Wars. And obviously solo deepened that in such a profound and beautiful way. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I, I'm in a way going to kind of talk through a lot of a lot of the, my favorite parts of Solo by doing this. So excuse me, <laughs> but I don't care. I love this movie. Um, but even right, the way that they are forced together by this very unfortunate circumstances, yeah. um, right? Like Han is thrown into this pen to be eaten by the beast. Um, and the beast is, you know, a, an enslaved Wookiee who is being starved to death. And, you know, in the midst of this really unfortunate circumstance, they find that by working together, they can escape this horrible situation. Right. So right. initially, like their 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 connection is forged in fire right from right out of the gate. Oh, yeah. No, it, it's uh, well, at least mud um, forged <laughs> in mud. Oh. Right. <laughs> right. But no, they they do. They have to find a way to 
bridge the not the communication gap, not just different languages, but the fact that he's an imperial and Chewie's not. You know, they have to find a way to bridge that gap quickly and in a way, you know, engender trust within each other in order to at least work together to get off the planet. Um, and it's one of those things that if Chewie, you know, wasn't in that situation where he had nothing left to lose, he probably would have just, you know, killed Han and drug his body across the, <laughs> the battlefield. <laughs> yeah. But that didn't happen, so. Right. When I, you know, that this hilarious little shower scene between the two of them, um, <laughs> it's so good. And, you know. You couldn't it, have maybe done this one at a time. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so good, and it shows right away how, how personal things get between these two. And the, to me, that indicates a level of comfortability between them, right? Um, you're not going to do something like that unless you're at least initially comfortable. Like they're, they've already like, because they work together, they're now free of the empire's tyranny. So yeah, it's not a big deal to just shower together, but like, you know, it just, it just indicates how comfortable right out, right off the bat. These two are with one another. Well, at least Chewie is with Han because Han, right. to be fair, Han doesn't initiate well, it. Yeah, Chewie's been in the mud longer, um, and so he's like, right. "I'm done waiting. I need to get this. I need to get in under this the shower here." So yeah, but it's hilarious. It's just hilarious, you know, because Han isn't just like, "Oh my God, what are you doing? Get out!" He's like, "Okay, I guess we're doing this." You know? <laughs> yep. So he he doesn't like resist in a way that's like, "What are you doing? You know, get out!" You know, he's he's like, "All right, fine." I guess we'll make this work. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the, in that amazing balcony scene, my God, we've got to do a balcony scene episode. Um, we don't have to do, <laughs> I don't think there's enough to do a top five with, but we can just do Star Wars balcony scenes. Boom. Best episode we've ever done. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's fewest downloads ever. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh you know, on this 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 little you know balcony scene where they both confessed about how it's been a long time since either of them have been truly free, and I think that more than anything is their initial sustaining bond. Right? They work together out almost out of necessity, and even Han says, right, like I don't care where you go, like you know we just need to get off this mud bowl. I don't care where you go from there, right? So initially, right. there's no, it's they're forced to work together. And they do seem to have this nice chemistry that does work together. Um, but now they're both confessing a deeper truth of what they're more authentic. Well, at least Han is opening up right away, like about what he's more authentically seeking. But Chewie shares the same sentiment of, you know, it's been a while since he's been free too. So that's really what's going to sustain uh, a bond and a friendship between the two of them. Right. And it's, you know, one of those things where they're still not, you know, necessarily buddies or pals but it's one of those things that it, it's it's building that the understanding between the two of them in a way that's going to you know that we will see develop into something more so um it, it's a it's a crucial uh moment because it, it clarifies the goals um for each of them the the desire for that freedom but it's not necessarily you know 
something that they're that's going to open them up into this automatic friendship and companionship that we saw in a new hope. So, right. Yeah. Um, but you know, they sit down at this campfire, another great scene in solo, by the way, if you haven't seen solo again, go see it again. It's really good. Um, it is. (laughs) And, uh, you know, at the campfire scene though, um, they both share, Again, a little bit more of more specifically what they're after, right? This previous scene on the on the balcony, they confess this general abstract idea of wanting to be free. Well, you know, um, I always remember learning this in in one of my early theology classes that, at least in a theological aspect, freedom is always freedom from something for something, right? So, like in the Christian sense, it's it's freedom from sin and freedom so that you can be freedom free for you know, loving God and loving neighbor. Um, so Han and Chewie obviously share, they want to be free from the tyranny of the empire, but what do they want to be free for? And we learned that they both want to be free for something very similar. Han wants to be free so that he can go back and rescue Kira, rec- rescue, you know, the person he loves, the person he feels a connection to, like a family. And Chewie mm-hmm. confesses what he's specifically seeking freedom for is the freedom to also go and find his tribe or family. What's the difference, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's really great. Again, the, this scene is really powerful because when, you know, Rio says, you know, oh, what are you after? I know that look. Is it revenge? You know, and Vale's like, no, if anything, it's a girl. And Han says, yeah, it is. And then you see immediately, again, Jonas is so, so, so good playing Chewie in this movie. Um and the way he just immediately looks at Han, and again, without any lines, and even if he had lines, it's not like we'd understand them. Um, <laughs> he looks at Han in such a way that it's like he's genuinely interested in what Han has to say about this. And then Han mirrors that by turning to him and says, what about you? What are you going to do with your share? And they all genuinely listen that Chewie's confessing that he wants to go find his family. So again, like... They already have this initial bond of wanting to be free, but now that bond is deepened by this shared desire to be free for family. Right. Family which they don't have access to right now. Yeah. So, um, and it is, it's also that scene where we get the line that gave us our title for this episode. Everyone needs someone. Um, And, you know, that's very true, and it's something that is felt with Han and Chewie in this moment as they express that they – I mean they're after the same thing because they want the companionship. They want the friendship, the love, the, the family. You know, They need someone, um, and that's a shared – not only is it a, a shared sentiment like we had in the balcony scene, but now it's a shared goal in general. So um, their paths together are not quite as, as broad now. They're narrowing together uh, as we, we continue to move on. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and then during the train heist scene, we get the profound moment where Han gives Chewbacca a nickname, right? Uh, you're gonna need, I, you know, I ain't saying that every time. Um, that, that's that's the uh, balcony scene, right? When he's yeah, when he says that he needs a nickname, but he gives him the nickname during the train heist. Oh, um, that's right, he does. Yeah, he just you know when he falls off the side, he yells Chewy. Um, 
<laughs> but right, giving him a nickname, right? There's nothing more common among companions, among good friends, about among best friends than giving each other some sort of nickname, right? Because it's a sign of endearment. You know, we we give a companion a, another name that in a way we alone call them or at least initially call them because we know them best, right? Um, so, you know, it's 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 something subtle and, and it's even a subtle moment. I mean, it it organically jumps out of Han. Like he just yells Chewie. You know, yeah. it's not some big reveal moment. It just instinctively jumps out of Han. But again, it's a sign of endearment. Yeah, no, no, that's right. Um, I, I guess I just didn't realize that he didn't give him that nickname, you know, just after the, the balcony scene ended. Um, but you're right. That is the first time he calls him Chewy is the train heist. Carl. Yeah. We, we haven't given each other nicknames. Maybe we should come up with something. I don't have a fun. Yeah. It's, it's tough because like Carl, what you, it's hard to make a nickname for Carl um, or, or, or Jason. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, you could be, we'll have to think that. on that. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> Jason's not hard to say. Like, if your name was like Jason Lalawana Monomitz, I might just call right. you Jason. Right. <laughs> or Thaddeus. Yeah. If my name was Thaddeus, you'd call, call you Tad. Tad. Yeah. Tad. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Tad for real. Yeah. 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 So, um, but, you know, fast forwarding a bit into the movie, into the Kessel, which is where we really get the next sense of, of the kind of companions they are. Um, and, you know, and I think one of the central questions I've been asking a lot every time I see Solo, and it's, not a, and it's not a question that I don't think is answered, but I think the more you ask the question, the more you can see a more profound answer. And my question is, is why does Chewie choose Han, right? Um, and again, just because so just, he had his opportunity. Exactly. And, you know, so I've, I've really been noticing more and more of these little moments where we see why he does. And, you know, I think, again, one of these one of these great moments is, you know, they're they're doing the 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 mine mission there on Kessel. They're running through the the tunnels, and Chewie sees some Wookies right being shoved around, and he immediately stops in his track and he wants to go rescue them. And you know, Han's not having it. Like, no, like Chewie, we got to keep going. Come on! I love the way he says that line. Yeah. It's it's so like it's so Han Solo. It's all like it. And it's it's also very young Han Solo. He's even more impatient, right? Right. Um, and but all Chewie wants to do is go rescue his, you know, his fellow Wookies. And again, it's it, and I know I made this comparison already, but it's very Return of the Jedi, right? When Han like stomps off from Leia, like I I can't tell you. You could tell Luke, is that who you could tell? Ah. You know, he like <laughs> right. stomps off and immediately stops himself, realizes he's being a bit of a child, right? This isn't about you. This is about her. So he goes back to comfort her. Well, here he is. He's just he's stomping off like, fine, right? He literally stomps, stomps the pole, stomps right. off for like a couple of steps, stops in his track, turns back, Chewy, here, you might need this, and tosses him a weapon, right? Like he gives him the means by which to make that task easier. Right. I hope I see you again sometime. Like, again, it's Han giving, supporting Chewie, doing what Chewie thinks is best for him. Right. And that's what yeah. a true companion does is you encourage and enable your companion to do what they think is right for them. Yeah. 
it, it it's when you you put them before yourself. Um, it's a very selfless thing to do, obviously. Um, and it's one of these things where it's kind of remarkable how quickly Han and Chewie reach this uh, this level of of thought with each other because they are, you know, at this point on Kessel, they've known each other maybe two or three days, you know, right at most. Um, and, and so, and it, and it's not one of those things where Han's just going, fine, go your way. I, you know, good riddance. He's not doing that, uh, which is something that you could do. It's more like, okay, no, you, this is important to you. So I'll support you. Yep. Um, and and that's you know that's a remarkable thing. Yeah. Um, especially for someone who likes to consider himself an outlaw. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but again, like Han knows Chewie's deeper purpose, and he encourages it. Right. Mm-hmm. And understands this is this isn't about him. It's something bigger. Um, right. Really quickly, I'm just because God, I can't get enough of the music. I love the music that's occurring in this piece. And again, it, this is Chewie's theme, which John Powell has written. And the first time we get Chewie's theme is "Flying with Chewie." Um, but this is that moment when they stop and Chewie's witnessing this. And this is this comes from the track "Mind Mission" at about one minute fifty-seven seconds. So listen to this beautiful uh, rendition of Chewie's theme. like just crushes some skulls <laughs> right <laughs> oh man uh, i i didn't realize that was chewy's theme until until you pointed it out now and oh my gosh that is so perfect for him um yeah and it's john powell i applaud yeah i'm sure he's a regular listener. again i applaud again john yeah. powell <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know it's it, it, it's it's my favorite statement of Chewie's theme in the movie because again it, it's very beautiful and heroic, but emotional, right? It's tugging at your heartstrings, yeah. And it says a lot about Chewie, right? Chewie is laser focused on doing something about this situation, and I think that pulls Han's heartstrings too. And it's like, who am I to stop him, right? Um, right. That's asking Chewie to be someone he's not, and I'm not going to do that. So exactly. Exactly, because he would want the same thing. So, right. yep. So, well, then you know, I think the the next big thing with them together as companions and showing how good they are together is this little thing called the Castle Run. Oh, I mean, <laughs> it's about time. <laughs> like, I seriously cannot do anything ex- except get a big dopey grin on my face every time. Uh. He he asks for uh, for Kira to uh, reroute power to the rear shields, uh, or is it the forward shields? Um, I feel right. It's the rear, the rear deflector rear shield. shields. It's rear, rear deflector shields. And she's like, "We definitely do." And she's looking at the controls, like, <laughs> having, "I have no idea 
what I am doing. And Chewie <laughs> just steps in and flips a bunch of switches and, you know, takes care of business. And, you know, Han's still caught up on the fact that you can fly. And then the fact that he's 190 years old, and he's like, whoa, that's cool. You look great. And Kira's the one who's like, I am not needed here. Chewie, get in. And Chewie sits down in the co-pilot's seat, and we got Han and Chewie together flying the Falcon. I cannot do anything except get a big dopey grin on my face every time this happens in the movie. It is one of the best moments in this film for me. It's so iconic, right? And and the way they swell that, that the rebel theme there, um, it's amazing. It's so good. Yes. Uh, I, I almost wish they had written a Han and Chewie theme for the movie. Um, and, and, <laughs> and it's not, I mean, Chewie's theme that John Paul wrote is beautiful. John Williams' Han Solo theme is amazing. The, the Han and Kira theme is beautiful. But it would just would have been, yeah, it been, I think it might have been really fun. And maybe there isn't. I'm just missing it. So if, if you know that there is and I missed it, please let us know. Um, I messaged John, or John Powell. Yeah, I wish I messaged John Powell. I don't have his contact. Um, <laughs> but I did message David Collins again to try to get him on the show. He, he was just on Full of Sith. It's so funny. I didn't even realize he'd just done that um, to talk, you know, very briefly about Solo and Last Jedi soundtracks. But I messaged him again to see if he'd, I could get him on. But, you know, no response, it, which is fair. I mean, he is he's a huge name right now. I don't know if you've checked out his show, the soundtrack show. It's I so good. It is. It's very so good. Oh, good. Um, he's very busy with that too. So he, right. he's, well, not only is he busy with that, but he's got a full time job and you know all the other events that he does and stuff. Right. He's a very busy person, right? And he's like a very young child. So you know, the there is busy that being a dad, so, so and a husband, right? Right. Um, Which is most important, <laughs> right? But uh, yeah, Mr. Collins, if you're listening, please be on the show. <laughs> um, so, We'd appreciate it. Uh, yeah, but uh, Br- bring. Bring some knowledge to our geeky, oh my gosh, the music's amazing. Right. And that's the thing that I respect so much about him is because he obviously does know all that stuff, but he gives it in such a presentable way. And again, if you've listened to the soundtrack show, he does his homework um, in a way yeah. that I that puts to shame every podcast I listen to, um, our, ourselves included. <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> we, do, we do some prep for sure, but... And I know some shows do no prep and some shows don't need to. But, uh, you know, what David Collins does for prep is so much and, and, and it pays off. Anyway, it, he's them. essentially giving you a college level um, dissertation or yep. not dissertation, uh, lecture right. every episode. Yep. <laughs> um, and he puts that amount of work into every episode. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the, the, the Kessel Run, there's, you know, it, it shows that, you know, they both recognize each other's strengths and by using their strengths together, it, it, like they're unstoppable, right? Like they just, they can't be beat. They can't be bested. And I love the way they work this together, right? Like Han's like, you know, I'm going to, you know, sweep through the bylats and, fl- and and I'll tell you when to flood it type of a thing, right? Like they're working together. This is all just happening so instinctively. And they take out that last tie. Chewie's the one who, you know, Han literally says, it's all yours, you know, and he pulls them up and does this great spin and they get out of there. And Han is ecstatic. He's like, great move. And it zooms in on Chewie's face and it's like, he's just totally in agreement, right? Like... <laughs> Everything about that, you know, it, it's so 
organic and there's such a level of respect that both of them have for one another, especially in moments like this, that they realize they're more fully themselves because of, because of the other. And you know, that's, that's a pretty darn good companionship. Yeah, it is. So, and oh. <laughs> It's just so, so fantastic to, to see the two of them work together and finally, especially because we know Han and Chewie from the original trilogy and how they are this dynamic duo. Um, and so getting to see the, the progression of the story as they get to that point is just so exciting. Um, but I... Uh, are we gonna? Do we have anything else we want to do on Solo before we jump into their companionship in the original trilogy? Well, just that that last moment together where Han loses everybody, mm-hmm. right? Um, his his father figure mentor he's just had to gun down, um, and then the woman of his dreams abandons him, and you know he's standing there very 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 much alone, and then this big paw. Right, comes out of our <laughs> periphery and just rests on his shoulder, yeah. and it's just so good. Like Han loses everything except his best friend, and I think this is really what solidifies their friendship. Is Chewie? Yes, Chewie on Kessel. Chewie makes the decision to stay with Han, right? Um, yes, but now he's also seen Han at his best. Right, he saw Han. Go up against this. Yeah, Chewie knows who Crimson Dawn is, right? We learned that early in the film when Beckett reveals that's who they were working for. Like right. Chewie knows the kind of you know syndicate this <laughs> is, and he sees Han stand up to them for the underdog. Chewie right. knows, like Kira tells him, that he's the good guy, and you know that's why he rests that paw on his shoulder because he's going to stay with the good guy. And right. I, I love that. Like. Uh, like, man, when you lose everything, or it seems like you lose everything, there's nothing like your closest companion just being there to support you, right? She doesn't say anything. Yeah. And, and again, this is why I really want a sequel, because I'd love to see like a little scene with the, just the two of them on the Falcon and Han kind of struggling with this and Chewie supporting him. So, Yeah. Well, then they get the Falcon back and they blast off into the original trilogy. Um, <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> to, exactly. I mean, to the, a new hope. there's a time jump in there. Alden, Alden Ehrenreich turns into Harrison Ford, and you know, here we are. Um, <laughs> yep. Because <laughs> because that's how things work in Star Wars, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, um, but I, I do want to just say, yeah, no, the, the fact that. All it is at the end of it all, at the end of everything, Han and Chewie are standing there together, and they've all each other has. Um, they, you're right. He had to gun down Beckett. Kira abandoned him with good reason. He, to be fair, like not because yes. this isn't about Kira. Like Kira has no. her has her good reasons for it. So it's not like she, she for, for Han. He probably doesn't fully understand. Right. Right. But Kira has her good reasons, but just Han's not going to get that probably. Right. And then he turns down the invitation from Enfys Nest. Right. So, you know, it, it, he's either had everyone leave or turn them down, except for Chewie. 
Um, and nothing is ever really said that this is a new partnership, that this is a new team, a new, you know, right. There's no life debt language, right? Right. There's no, there's no life debt. Nothing is ever said like, all right, I guess it's just you and me now. Uh, you know, they just kind of fall into this, this mode where it's just perfect and it, they've clicked together and fit together so well that nothing needs to be said. Yep. And, you know, that's the cool thing about it. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the the closing shot of this movie, which, well, the closing shot is, again, two movies in a row with stupid closing shots. Um, I don't like the dice is the closing shot. It's stupid. Um, <laughs> it's the only thing in this movie I think is dumb. Just like freaking Jedi Cane Boy is stupid. Broom Boy, useless. Um, but uh, so two two disappointing closing shots in the last two Star Wars films. That's okay. Um, and, and again, like it's so dumb to not close it with them blasting into light speed, right? With both their hands on the levers, like really, you know, symbolizing and indicating that they're in this together now. Instead, we go to these stupid dice, which literally makes no sense, but whatever, I'm, I'll get off that horse. Um, I have nothing against the dice, but again, that, that is a closing shot is stupid. Nothing against Broom you, Boys. You would, you would have preferred the shot of the dice first. Yep. And then... Or not at all, because I, I don't care. <laughs> Stop. Like, yes, I get it. They're in Last Jedi. I don't care. <laughs> um, so, Last Jedi's over. Let's let it rest. Um, but... Uh, the thing I like, though, is the movie begins right in that opening crawl that the last line of that is, is this is a man who yearns to fly among the stars. Well, he gets there and he gets yes. there in large part thanks to Chewie. Yes. So, again, companions help us realize our dreams and make them realities. Um, yes. So, but yes, now they blast ahead 10 years. We're in a new hope. And the first time we see them together is in this cantina making a deal and when the old man and the kid leave, we learn that Han is really happy because they're going to be able to pay off their debts. Who do you think is responsible for those debts? Han. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And not Chewie. Right. So Chewie has stuck with Han all these years, even though he's getting buried in Han's debts as well. Right. Like, (laughs) That's a pretty good buddy, like that he's going to stick with him even in the midst of all his screw ups. Right. Although, to be uh, fair, to be fair, and again, like this is why I would love to get a sequel or even two of them because I don't care. I want more Alden as Han. Um, to be fair, Han may, I mean, he is probably a really good smuggler. I mean, Jabba says as much in A New Hope, right? And the fact yeah. that he has such a casual relationship with Jabba indicates that he's well trusted by Jabba. I have a feeling that his only big mistake is this one action where he dumps a huge load of spice, right? Rather than get boarded. I think this one particular action is what gets him in a lot of trouble. Um, And he's probably been on the run from that for a little while once we get to a new hope. Um, But I don't think it's like Han has been continually a bad smuggler. I think this is one big thing. And again, I could be wrong. Um, But, you know, it's like he got into one bad deal and he's now just trying to claw his way out from under it. Yeah, much in the way Beckett did, you know, yep. after the uh, the coaxium train blew up. Um, <laughs> yep. So, yeah. I mean, um, right. Yeah. It, it's it's history repeating itself. 
again. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but of course, you know, they get entangled up with Luke and Obi-Wan and Leia and R2 and 3PO and all this adventure stuff happens to the Death Star. They get wrapped up with the Empire yet again, which is probably the last place they wanted to be was on board the Death Star. Um, <laughs> for multiple reasons. Han, because he's like, I didn't we just leave? Well, didn't we just, leave, didn't this just leave this party? You know, he, he says that. Um, I think it was in A New Hope, right? Yep. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Okay. For whatever reason, it felt like, you know, uh, Empire Strikes Back, but no, it is no hope. Um, anyway, uh, and you know the fact that they managed to help each other get out of there and then get to the rebel base. You know, <laughs> funny how ten years ago Enfys Nest invited him to join a fledgling rebellion, and now he's shuttling essentially one of the leaders of the rebellion back to the rebel base, one of the rebel bases. You know. <laughs> yeah yeah um but you know the the i think the biggest thing we get in a new hope about the sense of them being such good companions um well obviously like chewie's always behind han right so he's always got his back but mm-hmm. you know at the end of the movie han comes back to be the hero right and again we don't know what it is because again it's all off camera that convinces Han to come back, but the radio the radio drama, which I love, <laughs> excuse me, <coughs> sorry, makes it very clear that it was Chewie that convinced Han to go back, and I think that makes perfect sense. And I think the reason Chewie's able to do it is he probably very vervacious, ver, ver, very loudly reminds Han that he is the good guy, right? Um, and Chewie probably sees this as an opportunity for them to get their you know, get their get themselves involved in something more important than smuggling and remind Han what a good guy he is. Again, that's why I love the way Solo ends. Like Chewie's there to witness what Han does with Enfys, right? Um, yeah. And Han's not ready to join up then. And I think that's why, like, right, why doesn't Chewie fight him there and be like, no, we should probably do this. Like maybe we could even help free the Wookiees. But no, like in the same way that Han respected Chewie's need to go rescue the Wookiees rather than go get Coaxium right away, I think is in the same way mirrored by the way Chewie respects Han not being ready to join a rebellion, right? He's not yeah. there yet, so I'm not going to tell him otherwise. But I think at this point, in the, you know, in it, by the time we get to A New Hope, Chewie's like, listen, you're better than this. Remember, you're the good guy. You can go back right. and help with this. And I think that's really what brings him back. And it's not outright said in the movie or or anything that Chewie is the one who turned Han around. However, it's I think it's heavily implied, uh, especially when you know after Han wishes Luke well, you know may the force be with you, um, and Luke walks off. He turns around and Chewie is staring right at Han. You know, gives a little murmur, and Han just says, "What." Don't look at me like that. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, and he continues to stack the money onto the, uh, the pallet to go into the Falcon. Um, so, <laughs> uh, you can imagine that, huh? Chewie probably, you know, while, while I think it would have been really funny to, to see Chewie, you know, yelling and everything. I don't think Chewie really would have had to say much. I think you just had to stare at Han, mm-hmm. you know, long enough. True. You know, good point. To <laughs> to just like make Han realize 
who he is and what he should be doing. So, um, yeah, <laughs> but it, it's, I think it's heavily implied in the, in a new hope that, that Chewie definitely is a big reason why Han showed up at the end. Right. So, yeah. Um, well, I think that a big, the, the biggest moment in empire strikes back and really the only big one, the only really moment I think worth mentioning from empire strikes back is when Han's about to be frozen in carbonite and he entrusts mm-hmm. Leia to Chewie. Um, in a way come, come this point by the time they get to Bespin in a way Han has his crew. He has his family, right? That he'd been seeking with Beckett all those years ago. He's got yeah. Leia, he's got Chewie, you know, he's even got this kid, Luke. Um, I mean, I think, in Empire Strikes Back, Han still hasn't bought in fully to the being a member of the Rebellion. Like, he's there, but mostly out of respect and loyalty to Luke and Leia, uh, more than anything else. Um, but I think that... I, I was thinking about this today, you know, that moment, though, when Han entrusts Leia to Chewie, it just makes me think, like, he's doing exactly what Kira does for him at the end of Solo, when she says, Chewie needs you and you're going to need him. This is Han now saying to his best friend, you know, Leia's going to need you and you'll need her, right? Like, he's in a way mirroring what Kira did for him. You know, he doesn't, like, in that moment in Solo, Han doesn't realize this is Kira saying goodbye, right? He really doesn't get it. Um, but I think, I mean, I think, but after, after it happens, I think he understands that's what she was doing. And I think he learned a lesson from that that he's now passing on, you know, 13 years later in this moment with Chewie and Leia in Empire. And he is, he's under, like, Han very well probably thinks he's going to die here. So his dying words to his best friend and now the woman that he loves are look out for each other because you're going to need each other. Right. 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 And, and he trusts Chewie with Leia's protection. Um, you know, Chewie has earned that, that role. Chewie has earned that kind of respect, uh, from Han because Han rarely trusts anybody, but now he's entrusting Chewie with Leia, um, in a way that he's never really trusted anyone with anybody like that before. So it's, um, and Chewie, of course, is is such a, a nice and loyal person that he goes along with it and says, "Okay, I will." You know, he he he. You can imagine he gives Han his word, right? Um, that yes, he'll he'll watch out for Leia, uh, he'll protect her, and Han essentially believes that he's going to his death. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a it's a yep. big deal. <laughs> yep. Um, a couple of things from from Return of the Jedi that stand out to me, um, and the first one is just a little one when they get reunited in, in Jabba's dungeon and Chewie starts petting Han. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, it just you know the shower scene is kind of a moment like that. It's just something very mm-hmm. the shower scene's funny and it is early, but. It just it's a sustained sense of the affection they have for each other. Yes. So I love that. Yeah. I'm all right, pal. I'm all right. <laughs> yeah. And and think of it this way too. Actually, just thinking about that little moment, while it is subtle and also kind of comical, um, 
when Han is first unfrozen, right, before Leia takes, you know, the Bausch, the Bush Bausch, however you say it, mask off, he is visually kind of frightened. Like, where am I? Who are you? Right? Like, yeah. oh, crap. Um, and then he you can't know, see anything. He's blind. Right. And then Jabba sentences him to, you know, he knows Jabba's not going to take it easy on him. But when he says to Chewie, I'm all right, pal, I'm all right. I feel like he thinks he's he'll be okay because he's with Chewie, right? Like things feel right because of who he's with now, right? Uh, maybe and it's just the memories of like all that they get through together that makes him actually feel all right. Yeah. So that and the fact that you know Luke is on his way as well. So you know all yeah. of that combined, I think, really helps Han get you know put Han at ease. Uh, but it starts with Chewie, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, and then at the end of Return of the Jedi, well, not the end, I guess, middle of the Return of the Jedi, we learn that Han has, you know, become a general in the Rebel Alliance. And I think this is a great moment for Chewie. Behind Leia's back. Yeah. And Chewie's. Um, yeah, that's true. Because Chewie's just as surprised as Leia. And they're both ecstatic, though, because... Han has finally given himself to the rebellion, right? Like I said, I don't think he had done that exactly in Empire. Um, but by Return of the Jedi, he's he's bought into it. He And I think he's able to do that because everything he wanted in his life, he now has, right? He has that family. He, in a way, like has his crew. He has, um, you know, he's in love again. And he has Chewie. Like he's got all of those essentials. So now he can give himself to something more. Right. Like I think and this is just this is to me like a general statement, not just to Star Wars, but I think and again, maybe it's me speaking from my own experience, but I think we can give ourselves more to bigger things when we're more secure and settled in ourselves. Right. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like for you is going to be unique to every individual. But when you when you feel settled and secure in who you are and what you have, it's going to make you a better whatever. Right. A better you know, politician, a better teacher, a better guide, a better parent, a better whatever, right? You fill in the blank. But it's having those essentials at the core of who you are that then frees you up to do something even more. And I think that's why in Return of the Jedi, Han finally has everything he needs, recognizes that, and joins this rebellion. And I bet you it makes Chewie really happy that now he can be part of this too. And again, if you've read the Life Debt series by Chuck Wendig, you know, which take place, I think they take place if, right, just a few years after Return of the Jedi, if that. We learn that Han is off with Chewie fighting on Kashyyyk, right, to free Kashyyyk. So I think Chewie sees this as a great opportunity, like, oh, finally, Han's ready to do this. And then after this, right, they can then go and free Chewie's people. And, you know, um, yeah, so Han's got everything he needs. And that allows him and Chewie now to both be something more. They're literally freedom fighters. Freedom fighters, not fighters. Fighters. Yes. <laughs> Which goes back to what they were looking for initially. You know, they wanted that freedom. Yeah. Now they're, now they're fighting for freedom on behalf of not only themselves, but on behalf of everyone else. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's a big deal. Yep. Big deal. Um, yeah, the, the the last thing I'm going to say about the two of them is obviously that they're together again in Force Awakens. Now, again, we learn through some of the new canon that Chewie 
leaves at some point after the Battle of Kashyyyk, right? He goes and helps settle down, you know, with the Wookiees. And we all we know he's got a family. And again, this this idea of the new the new sense of a life debt, which, again, still has never been explicit. It doesn't mean what the old Legends canon said. And again, I like I like this one so much more. Um, so once the galaxy's at peace initially, right, like the our heroes have won the battle. <coughs> Excuse me. Chewie is able to go home and settle in with his family. But what brings him back? Well, it's his best friend losing everything. You know, right. The, the, when Ben leaves and, you know, the, the weight of all that that entails and the way that breaks up Han and Leia. Um, I don't think they get space divorced, but they certainly get space separated. Um, and, <laughs> right. And probably not even like legally. Um, but no, it's probably just like, uh, well, you do what you need to do and I'll do what I need to do and we'll talk later. Right. <laughs> but this is when Chewie comes back again. It's just like how he puts that paw on Han's shoulder at the end of Solo. Once again, Han's kind of lost everything that's important to him. His world's kind of in turmoil again. So Chewie comes to probably give him some sense of stability in the in the wake of all the chaos, right? Like a good companion would. Mm-hmm. Um, and well. you know what I was thinking is is um, in a way Chewie comes back also to remind Han who he really is that he's still the good guy, right? And Chewie opens Han up to that reality in a way that not even Leia can, right? And, and I think it makes sense because the fact that what disrupts everything is, you know, Han and Leia's son leaving. So, of course, like, it's going to disrupt that connection in a very overt way. But Chewie provides something from, for Han that no one else can, right? When they're on Starkiller base... It's Han who says, my friend's got a bag full of explosives, referring to Chewie and all his bombs, right? Like, Chewie's <laughs> there to remind Han that he is more, right? Um, so, this is, like, this is companionship. Chewie yeah. recognizes who Han is. He's the good guy. And Chewie's going to And when, and when Han that. forgets, Chewie's there to remind him. Yep. And, he's, and he doesn't do it by, like, pestering him and getting, you know, sitting him down saying... You remember who you are and, you know, starts telling it to his face. He's like he, – he sits there and with nods and nudges and, you know, looks sort of reawakens that within Han. So – and in that way, Chewie's a lot wiser than many of us. Yeah. So <laughs> – Yep. Yeah. Well, he is over 200 years old by this point, 240 exactly. by this right. point. So, you know – Right. There is that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, 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 as I want to do, that obviously went a little bit longer than we were planning with just Han and Chewie, but our next two will be a little bit quicker. Um, but uh, the, next, the next big companionship we really see in Star Wars, well, besides the classic one that we're going to close out with, but in, uh, in Rogue One, we get some great new companions in Chirrut and Baze. Mm. <coughs> yes. These are some of my favorite companions. I like these two. I like these two a lot. Um, and it's neat that, you know, they've only had one movie. Yeah. Well, and they're only going to have one movie, probably. <laughs> they're only going to have one movie. All right. They know. Unless we go back in time. Right. Um, 
which is possible but not likely. Yeah. Um, and yet they've they've become iconic and have left their mark in Star Wars, you know, in a way that I think is really neat. Um, but they are companions, but in a sense, they're much deeper than that because they are part of a brotherhood. Um, in a similar vein, to, just I'm going to talk in general terms yeah. of, of, of them first uh, before we get into the details. But in similar to the, to the way the Jedi operate and the fact that the Jedi view you know, each other as family, view each other as brothers and sisters uh, in, a, in a sense. Um, Chirrut and Bays are part of the Guardians of the Wills, which is this order that protected the, the Kyber Temple there on Jeddah. And they, you know, in, in a sense, worshipped the Force and, and you know, protected these things and the secrets and the knowledge and the, the lessons. Um, and in a way, I think Chirrut and Bays have a a brotherhood, a fraternal brotherhood in a way that's deeper than even that of the Jedi. Um, but because of the situation they've been thrown into, it's moved beyond just, you know, guardians of fellow guardians of the wills. Um because of everything that's happened, because they've lost their purpose. The temple has been taken over and the kyber crystals stripped uh, from the temple. They don't have a job anymore. They're essentially out on the street, hiring themselves out you know, as muscle or whatever in order to scrape by, um, even though Cheerit likes to remain close by the temple. <laughs> to keep an eye on things. Um, but it's a different kind of companionship than what we got with Han and Chewie. Mm. Um, and I think it's important as we move forward to to remember that it is different and that it, it, it was formed and forged out of this brotherhood that is a very deeply spiritual thing for both of them, or at least was for Bayes. Um, so I think that's something to keep in mind as we, we move forward with our discussion on, on these two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and just in, in, in more general terms, right, when we meet them in Rogue One, uh, Chira is a man of, of deep faith where Bayes is the character who's lost his faith. Um, yeah. But I think what's really important is um, the fact that Bayes never lost his faith in Chira, right? Mm-hmm. While he may have lost his faith in the Force – he has never lost his faith in his friend. Um, because if, and otherwise, why would he stick around him? Right. After, right. after all of the, you know, after the temple is seized by the empire and, and, you know, cast down, um, Chirrut still, you know, sticks around with this sense of duty. Like he owes it to the, to the temple, even though it's in shambles. So Chirrut is faithful still to the force, still faithful to his guardian of the will minship. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Baze, Baze, what he's faithful to is Chirrut. Um, and like you said, it's it's forged by where that is rooted, right? Like, yeah, it's definitely different than Han and Chewie. They probably grew up together in some way. I mean, I, we still don't know much about the, the 
you know, Guardians of the Wills, and I still hope we learn more. And I and I I'm I'm pretty sure we will in, at some point. Um, but uh, you know, it's really neat that they come from something that is deeply spiritual and deeply fraternal. Fraternal. I don't. I mean, there could be female Guardians of the Wills. We don't know. Um, but all the same, they clearly live. It's very much like a monastic community of monks who just also happen to be warriors. Um, you right. know, and so that's what brings them together. But after everything falls apart, you know, and again, I'd, I'd love to learn more about what that looked like and, and how many guardians there were and what happened to the others. Were some of them killed? Did some of them just up and leave? Um, but I have the sense, though, that Chirrut's, you know, deep-seated faithfulness to his his calling still that keeps him around. It's always going to sit funny with Baze too, right? Like, and and we see that it pays off at the end of the film when Baze regains his faith. But I think Baze is continually impressed by Chirrut staying faithful to that, even though he's not, right? And and almost and, and again, I, I don't know that there's any clear evidence for for a statement like this in the film itself. So I could be completely wrong and just making up my own conjectures. But it's almost as if there's a part of Bayes that wants to still be like Chirrut, right? Right. And and he's sticking around in hopes that maybe he too will find that faith again. And obviously he does. Yeah, I, I think there's um, there could be an argument made for that. Um, because at, when the time comes, he is willing and open to reaffirm that faith, to reaccept that faith. Um, but it is one of those things, especially with how grim everything looks, he doesn't believe he can. You know, um, it, and it's one of the it, – it's, it's funny that Chirrut says that he was once the most devoted guardian of us all. You know, it was Baze Malbus was the most devoted guardian of us all. You know, um, and and to see a man who was that devoted to now essentially becoming agnostic, if not atheist, towards the beliefs, uh, it takes a toll on everyone around you, and I'm sure it hurts. Cheer it. But in the same way as Baze is Chirrut's physical eyes, Chirrut ends up being the moral compass and the spiritual eyes for Baze. Uh, keeps him close by, you know, even when he's trying to uh, ignore or avoid his beliefs. Right. Right. Well, and, and look at um, the first time – well, the first time we vi- visually see them together, we see Chirrut actively out there, right? You know, may the force of others be with you. Um, <laughs> right? So he's still out there evangelizing in a way. But when Jin approaches and they have kind of this interaction, that's when we see Baze kind of step out of the shadows like, yep, this is kind of like Chirrut's watcher, right? It's his guardian. Um, it's his faithful friend, you know? His dark night. (laughs) Um, But, you know, when when we first see them actively working together, right, after Chirrut, you know, lays down the law with his stick and then Baze comes and finishes off the leftovers, um, you know, 
uh, you know, the false did protect me. I protected you, right? I think that's that's kind of like the that line, those that the, that exchange kind of encapsulates where they are in their journey at this point and where they are in their companionship, right? Chirrut still believes that the the force is there. It's going to protect him. It, it's looking out for him. But Bay's the practical voice. Well, no, I I protected you. Chirrut's basically saying, yeah, no duh, because the force is active in you still, bro. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, Chirrut recognizes that even though Baze has turned his back on the force, the force hasn't turned its back on Baze. Um, so I, I like that, right? Like while Baze is struggling to regain that, Chirrut is always faithful to the fact that it's still there, right? And and he's going to continually witness to that for Baze. Yeah, no, and it... And and I'm sure Baze is, you know, knows what Shirt is talking about and knows what Shirt means because they've been doing this song and dance for a while. It seems, you know, they, they uh, you know, the force protected me. I protected you. You know, this seems like a reoccurring statement. You know, it, it doesn't right. seem like this is the first time that happened. They they've probably been around this uh, this discussion many times, and whenever Chirrut gets involved in something and Baze has to come in, um, they probably you know do this. They they bicker. They're like brothers. They they bicker a bit about this stuff, um, and it's funny. You know, I I think it's cool. Uh, good. <laughs> yeah. What happens again when they get to Edu, right? You know, I'm going to follow Jin. Her path is clear. Uh, alone? Good luck. I don't need luck. I have you. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And Bay's just sort of like big sigh, shakes his head, and, and you know, begrudgingly leaves to follow Chirrut. Right. He's like, oh, he knows me too well. Uh, he knows my nature. You know, and he's chalking it up to, to that probably. He's yeah. like, you know, that this is – you know, he, he he just knows me. It has nothing to do with the force. He just knows me. Right. Um, which both are probably true. <laughs> <laughs> For real. Um, so. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, you know, at the end of that movie, all of that is, is regained by, you know, Chirrut's final walk of faith, if you will. Yeah. Um, really brings Baze out into the danger zone. You know, cue that Kenny Loggins song. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Highway to the danger zone. <laughs> Perfect. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, it, it's this is where Baze regains his faith, you know. Yeah. Um, and even he's holding his best friend who dies in his arms and then when he, you know, moments later dies himself, he looks back. I almost, right, like we've talked about this in, in, in previous shows in the past, but this like beatific smile that comes over his face um, as he's about to go out because I think Baze really does believe that he and Chirrut will be, you know, together again in the Force, whatever that might mean, right? Right. In Star Wars lore or whatever. But, um, yeah, like I think... He knows this was all worth it at the in the end because he got to do it with Chirrut. Yeah. Well, and essentially they, you know, they they reach this point where 
the eyes that Chirrut sees through, the, the spiritual eyes, and the eyes that Bayes sees through overlap. You know, they, they get to this point where they, they see what they have to do. They have to, you know, activate the master switch. You know, they have to make take this step of faith, take this risk in order for the mission to, to succeed. Um, Baze is hesitant. Chirrut is not. Um, and they, when they get to the point where Chirrut is, you know, is not gunned down, but you know, the explosion, you know, throws him through the air and Baze has to run out there. It, it is one final act of brotherhood that sends Baze out to eliminate the death troopers, you know, and it's not a, you know, it's not one of these suicide runs for him. It it means so much more because he has regained his faith. He has recognized what it is. Sheard has been saying to him all this time. Um, And this selfless act that Sheard fulfilled in order to, Further, the mission has awoken that that spiritual sense back in in Bayes and has helped him recover the faith that was lost. Uh, pick that up and carry that forward. You know, as it was essentially handed to him from Chirrut in Chirrut's final breath. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah, so I don't really. I mean, I don't really have much more to say about these two. Um, no, and and but again, I mean, it, it in a very different way than Hunter. You know, certainly, we have one movie with these two characters as opposed to you know four, five for that matter with Han and five. Shuri. Yeah, um, so certainly not nearly as much to say. But again, they just show. I, I think they continue to support. You know, what we're talking about kind of towards the top of the show was. The, the reality that these com- that companions bring out the best in each other, and that certainly happens with Chirrut and Baze. Um, because uh, Chirrut always knows Baze will be there for him, and that faith... Chirrut has faith in both the Force and in Baze, and that faith is uh, reclaimed by Baze. And Baze, right. you know, remembers that he is a man of faith too. Um, so I love that. Yeah. Now the last one we'll kind of just mention, and it, it's purely for fun. Um, and I, I don't have a ton to say, but it, I, it, you might, but the original companions, I mean, Han and Chewie are, are, are really, really fleshed out companions in, in, in star Wars, but you can't talk companions in star Wars and not talk about R2D2 and C3PO. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> They are the quintessential old married couple, best friends, brothers who just pick at each other constantly. You know, there are so many ways you could describe them as a pair, as companions. Um, From the most basic uh, in terms of function, you know, that 3PO is an interpreter for R2. You know, they, they are counterparts, you know. Hello, I am C3PO, and this is my counterpart, R2D2. You know. Um, hello. You could, hello. Right. <laughs> hello. Um, 
don't sound so interested, Luke. Um, right. But, uh, you know, you could go from the most basic function of their relationship to the fact that, you know, even earlier uh, when, when 3PO convinces Luke and Owen to buy R2 at the Jawa sale, he, you know, pokes his nose into R2's business and says, why I stick my neck for you? Uh, why I stick my neck out for you is quite beyond my capacity. Um, you know, you you have them doing things beyond their programming like that for each other. And obviously, you know, R2 doing extraordinary things sometimes, you know, like, you know, going out into the middle of the Genos' arena battle to put 3PO back together. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, things like that where over and over again, it's not an incredibly deep relationship uh, because, you know, they are droids after all. But it's one of those constants that has always been around. And if you started getting movies without one or the other, it feels uncomfortable. If one of them is there and the other is not, things start to feel uncomfortable and out of place. Um, at least for me. So um, <laughs> they, they are a pair. You have to get the set. You, you know that this is <laughs> you can't just have one um in my opinion so i i don't have much else to say other than i just love these two characters so much um but they are kind of the quintessential companions in star wars because they've been all over the place so um when you can get as many movies as R2 and 3 of you have had, then we can talk. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know who I think would have loved R2? Mm. L3. Oh, yeah. Um, R2 and L3 would have gotten into it that, you know, they would have tried to constantly outdo each other. And 3 people would just get caught in the middle. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, you know... It, I I love that you pointed out the moment from Attack of the Clones though cuz that is it's such a good moment to to show right like R2 goes out of his way to find 3PO in the midst of this chaotic battle to put him back together this is his best buddy right like right. as much as they bicker and 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 you know fight with one another um like they really care about each other they do and they do and I think you know, I thinking of just like some of those moments during the Battle of Endor and in Return of the Jedi, right? Where three PO tries to act all tough because R two's around, right? Like I have decided that we shall stay here. You know, right? Um, right. You know, R two, why did you have to be so brave? Yeah, you know? exactly. That was the next line coming to my head. Actually, real quick, you know, I don't, I don't know how this escaped me, but this is the perfect comparison with what you just gave up. You know, provided with Attack of the Clones. R2 goes out of his way to put 3PO back together. Well, at the end of A New Hope, what does ah. R2, what does 3PO say? If any of my gears or gizmos will do, I'll gladly donate them. Right. You know, and that's, that, that's what companions do, right? They, you give something of yourself to help the other. Right. That's true of all sorts of relationships, for sure. But, um, you know, this is like, these are good buddies. You know, you wouldn't want my life to get boring, would you? <laughs> <laughs> Right, yeah. You've got to come back. I'll be lonely without you. I mean, you wouldn't want my life to get boring, would you? Yeah. <laughs> but they but they can't come out right out and say it. These two. 
They, right. they, there's no way that they're going to come out and just admit that they that they really like each other and need each other. Um, and you can imagine every time R2 puts 3PO back together, he's like, you owe me another one. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. But, but it's one of those things where while they'll never come out and just outright say it, it's obvious that they are inseparable companions. Yeah. Um, and which makes me a little sad when we find out that R2 has been in hibernation for so long in Return of the J- or uh, Force Awakens, excuse me. Um, you know, it just makes me, re- you know, kind of sad that 3PO has been without his buddy for an extended period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that'll that'll suffice. What do you think? I I think that'll do for now. I mean, there's plenty of other types of companions and other pairs that we could have talked about, um, but we've been going for a while, and I think that's a good stop in place. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah, so. Uh, you're absolutely right. There are certainly other companions, but these are the ones that I really thought, you know, in a way really symbolize best friends, companion type things. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and thanks to solo for really encouraging, encouraging this as a topic. So thanks again, Ron yes. Howard. <laughs> yes. Um, I guess I should say thanks to the Kazdans cause they wrote it. Um, well, but, that too. But I mean, we, I, I still think we need, more Ron Howard Star Wars movies. Um, I, I he gets it, he gets it. I want Ron Howard to come back and and do more Star Wars. Agreed. Um, oh. well, before we go, we certainly have, as always, well, as always, it's been a while actually, so I take that back. <laughs> but uh, we do have <laughs> we do have a fun matchup for our next episode. Why, yes, we do. Um, and it's. It's a little on the nose with who we discussed here in this episode, but we don't care. Um, <laughs> we're going to do uh, a team-up matchup um, of a couple of, of companions versus each other. So we're going to pit good old Han and Chewie versus R2 and 3PO. I mean, no, 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 no not R2 <laughs> and 3PO. We're, <laughs> we're going to pit Han and Chewie versus Chirrut and Baze. Um, in our next matchup, obviously, we all know this matchup would never happen in real life, but this is a what if, so go with it, folks. Right. And just to be clear, just for the fun of it, because we're we're looking at the kind of the standalones here, um, we're looking at like young Han and young Chewie. Well, hundred yeah, yeah, hundred ninety yeah. we'll years young. Um, you know, so we're right. looking at like the the rendition of Han and Chewie from Solo, and then Chirrut and Bays from Rogue One. Um, yeah. So. You know, think of that accordingly when you cast your vote. Um, I almost feel like I have to remove myself from this because I'm so darn slanted. Like it <laughs> wouldn't be fair no matter what. But I'm going to try to bring some critical thought to it. But that's going to be tough. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see what we can do on this one. <laughs> yeah, for real. So this is why we need you, Larians, to, to to bring some level of impartiality to it. So to help me out specifically. <laughs> Because it's not like, you know, we're biased at all in this. Um, no, not in the least. Not in the least. Anyways, but yes, Han and Chewie versus Chirrut and Baze. And Carl, if they want to weigh in on the matchup or if they want to weigh in on their thoughts on companionship and Star Wars or anything else, where can they do that? 
Well, of course, over on our Facebook, facebook.com slash podcast. Um, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Wampuslair. Send us an email at wampuslairpodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to also help support us on our Patreon page, which, again, is always appreciated, head over to patreon.com slash podcast. Yes. And thank you once more to our unofficial official uh, sponsors of this episode, uh, Otto, Sartage, and Stephanie, for your recent donations to our Patreon page. We greatly appreciate that. You got anything else, Carl? No, except tune in next week because we're going to share the specifics of our trip to San Francisco, which will be going on very soon. Um, and, and all the fun Star Wars things will be hitting up out there. And spoiler alert, we got a top five coming at you next week. We're going to find out what it is next week, though. We're not going to tell you what what top five we're doing. All right. That's going to wrap up this episode of the Wampus Lair podcast. It's been episode number 290. Everyone needs someone. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time in the Falcon here in the Wampus Lair.